Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another segment. And I thought it'd be interesting maybe to talk a little bit about financial literacy. I just recently did a uh, segment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. It was all of nine minutes, right? <laughs> I can't say a whole lot of anything in nine minutes. But uh, it, it got me interested in maybe talking about that. And I think I probably should explain that I have not been a proponent of financial literacy. Now, by that, this is what I mean. And you can look this up on, on some of my columns um, on the uh, website. But oftentimes there's this sense, this money script that, well, what we need is more information. What we need is to teach our, our kids and adults about how to handle money, that if we did that, everything would be okay. And therefore, we need more information. And by and large, studies will show, and I, I have a CFP um, acquaintance in um, California that I talk about where he, he works with uh, underprivileged uh, populations a lot and told me not too many years ago that the uh, financial literacy efforts that he made have largely failed. So we haven't seen a lot of um, ROI societally, if that's a word, around literacy, teaching financial literacy. Well, why? Well, my position has been and remains that teaching financial literacy can be like teaching dieting or teaching calories. That most folks, uh, if you ask 10 people, how important is diet and exercise? I'm going to guess nine are going to say important. How many actually practice good uh, uh, dietary measures and exercise the 45 minutes uh, per time, at least three times a week. Probably two out of ten. So I, I think it's the same thing with money. You know, how many people out of every ten would say that you need to spend less and save more? That your your outgo sh certainly shouldn't be above your income. And I think nine out of ten would probably say that's true. How many people actually do that. And actually statistics show that maybe about 3 out of 10. It could be closer to 2 out of 10, but, but certainly 3 out of 10 Americans actually have been able to, to save more than $1,000. So why? You know, I, I don't think it's about needing more information is my whole point. Uh, it goes to an emotional component. 
it goes to things that we have learned, uh, things we think, feel, and believe that keep us stuck around money, that keep us from going into action around money. So to teach somebody these skills when they can't hear us is kind of a waste of time. And what I'm saying is giving somebody more information when they can't hear the information just <laughs> is <a laughs> exercise in futility. So I think for someone to be able to hear the information, working with the emotional woundings around money and all of the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs around money are critical, right? That said, financial literacy is really important because once you can hear, then the information becomes critical. So I thought with that caveat, maybe I'd go through just some basic things about financial literacy and suggest that it still would be a really smart thing for us to start emphasizing this as a society and start teaching kids at a young level. And you've probably heard me say so many times that the majority of money scripts are formed before a child is 10. So studies show that a, a child even as young as five can start to learn money management skills. So it makes tons of sense to start talking, start teaching uh, money skills to children. Now, as I alluded to, our society doesn't really require money skills. And yet money skills are a 21st century survival skill. If you think about it, when you first came to South Dakota in the 1800s, probably understanding how high finance worked back then wasn't going to get you very far. You know, you better know how to build a sod house, put together a, uh, a stagecoach, take care of animals, know how to farm, know how to make clothes. Those skills were survival skills. But today, it's all changed. Understanding how money works is a survival skill. And yet, as a society, we really haven't come to believe that or we'd be teaching our kids these skills. So, in South Dakota, you are required to take either a personal finance or economics course to graduate, but you can choose between one or the other. It's not a requirement that you cho choose the personal finance course. And economics... Understanding economics is not a survival skill. <laughs> I don't even think economists understand economics. So here's, there is a time that a financial literacy course is required by the state. You know when that is? When you have filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. When you filed for bankruptcy, you've got to take uh, some financial education before the bankruptcy is discharged. Now, this is really well-intentioned, but I think it comes a little bit late. The 15% of the American population is insolvent. 
That's 15% of adults. 15% of adults owe more than what they're worth. That's called insolvency. It doesn't mean they're in bankruptcy. It just means if they had a sale and liquidated everything, they would still owe money. And, you know, 65 to 70%, as I alluded to earlier, um, don't have $1,000 saved. So the truth of the matter is most of us learn money skills just in the school of hard knocks, just going along. And most folks have not been taught too much by their parents in that regard. Uh, the one thing that I've heard over and over in the work that I do is I wish my parents would have taught me something about money. And talking about money is like one of the big taboos of our society. Oh, we hear about the stock market, you know, money's in our face all the time, but not talking about it intimately. And if you don't believe that, like when I talk to financial planners, oftentimes they think that they have it together when it comes to money, money and emotions, money issues. And I'll suggest to them, if I'm speaking to them live at your reception tonight, uh, why don't you, just everybody you go up to, just introduce yourself and ask them, how much how much did you make last year? Um, I'm curious what your net worth is. Or just offer to tell them how much you made last year and what your net worth is. All of a sudden they get it. Yeah, there's tons of shame around talking about money. And it's hard to teach what you don't know. So it's a problem. So when it comes to financial literacy, oftentimes what is emphasized is learning how to invest. What we need to do is teach people how to invest and about mutual funds and compounded interest and diversified stock portfolios and all these things that I could go on for hours about. But while that's important, the first thing we need to teach in financial literacy is cash flow, money management. Uh, the that scary word that starts with a B, budgeting. This is really where we need to start because it's to invest you got to have something saved, right? So starting with budgeting, teaching that budgeting is not a constriction. It's not to constrict us. It's actually to create freedom which a big part of freedom is emotional freedom. Ease, relief, flow versus anxiety and depression, right? So it's teaching a person how to come up with a spending plan. That's what a budget is, is a plan for spending. And our spending needs to support our goals, our desires, uh, what is really important in life. And when we start to construct our spending around supporting us, we can see how that spending plan, that budgeting, really is about giving us freedom. So that's really, really important in financial literacy, is learning money management. Um, you've probably heard me write about uh, my good friend Dick Wagner, uh, CFP in uh, Denver. He was admitted to the 
equivalent of the Planners Hall of Fame, and he sadly passed away, whew, I think about uh, three years ago. He had a very famous statement in the circles in which I ran. He said, financial planning can be reduced to one sentence. Save more, spend less, and don't do anything stupid. And at the heart of that, while um, I react a little bit to the don't do anything stupid part, which could be a little overtly shaming, right? But, but there, there's some real good teaching behind that. At the heart of it all is cash flow. That's the heart of financial planning. So, cash flow. Second thing that I often see gets left out of financial literacy is the importance of good credit. Oh, what's important with good credit? I mean, in a way, you could say part of financial freedom, part of good cash management is not borrowing, not borrowing on credit cards, uh, not borrowing for anything except maybe a house or something that's income producing. Well, and most of us are going to have to borrow for a house. <clears throat> the better your credit sco score, <clears throat> the lower your interest. Also, having a good credit score can lower insurance premiums. So the better your credit score, it's going to save you money in some form or fashion. It's not just about um, a good money management, which is important, but it's going to save you money. <laughs> Being a good money manager is going to save you money. That's kind of what comes first, right? But a good credit score is important in that regard. And the other thing that often gets left out is the importance of an emergency fund. And I think the pandemic has shown us the need to have an emergency fund. And an emergency fund just isn't money, uh, a pot of money to go to if you hurt yourself and you got to pay the medical deductible or you've got to make a repair on your house or your car or something of that sort. Those really aren't emergencies in the uh, uh, context of them being unexpected. Uh, we don't know the timing of those things, but we know they'll happen, right? What we don't necessarily know will happen would be to lose a job uh, in some form or fashion. But that's when the emergency fund is so important. You know, losing your job due to an unforeseen and unimaginable pandemic. I mean, who plans for that? So emergency funds uh, become terribly important. So I, I talked about the importance of starting financial literacy when a child is young. And it's so important that we start teaching children how to save, how to spend, how to protect their assets, and, and the importance of paying taxes. Um, you might think you wouldn't have to highlight that, but there's so many folks that uh, I, I've been told by tax preparers, actually, that there's a lot of folks that filing a tax return means they get money. I think it's around 47% of the adult population in the U.S. don't pay taxes. Now, not all of them get credits and things, but many of them equate 
uh, filing a, a return with getting money. So when it comes around that they start making enough to where they have to give money, it's almost a shock to the system. And many times they'll just choose not to file the, the, the tax return. And of course, I, I know providers that are continually having to scramble to pay their sales tax. Uh, maybe you're, maybe it's um, a housekeeper, maybe it's a massage therapist or, or someone. Not setting aside a portion of every check to pay those taxes is pretty common. And the one thing that you don't want to not pay are sales tax and especially uh, FICA taxes on employees. So teaching kids how important this is it can, can go a long way. Also, when, you know, going shopping with your kids, and I, I can remember back with my kids who are, I don't have a teenager anymore as of yesterday. They're both in their 20s. And it would appear to me that they're relatively good money managers. And I cannot take all the credit for that. In fact, I think there are times I was <laughs> wondering how, how this was going to turn out. But I do remember a couple of things. I remember grappling with uh, an allowance. Do I tie the allowance to chores or do I not tie the allowance to chores? And I think initially I, I tied the allowance to chores. And that was a mistake. Because <laughs> my kids had no need for money at that time, right? You know, if you make your bed, I'll give you $5 a week. Or if, you'll, if you do the, the help with the dishwasher, and they're kind of like, why do I care? I think I would rather not do the chore because the money's meaningless. So I would suggest don't tie an allowance to the chores and just say the chore is part of being a member of the family. But to give them a, an allowance to use that money for whatever they want. And I would take my, my kids shopping I think the place in Rapid City is called Motive Parts. It's not there anymore. They had a big toy section, and we'd go in, and they'd look at toys. And and I remember uh, at some time, I think I was giving them $5 a week, maybe. They'd go, and maybe they'd spend all their $5. And the next week, we'd go, and, and they wouldn't have anything, or there might be a toy that costs more. And they started getting the idea, oh, to get that one, I've got to save. I've got to not purchase some. And then they would start learning a little bit about comparison shopping, and maybe they'd buy the one that's cheaper, and the thing would break before we got home. And so they learned about, oh, there's a trade-off between price and value. And so, and there were times that they would make a purchase, and I could see what was coming, but it was really important for me to not, uh, not interject my opinion and to help them learn. Because this is, this is very, very inexpensive learning, right? And better to be making terrible decisions when you're six, seven, eight years old with your allowance money than when you're 18 or 20 years old or even older. So giving them the space to fail 
is really, really important. It's a, it's a wonderful lesson. So we need to give our kids the uh, gift of money to manage. We need to give them the gift of uh, being able to make mistakes. And it's also important not to rescue the child when they run out of money, when they've spent it all and, you know, may, maybe they would like a loan. I don't know, maybe you could make a loan and help them learn what interest is and that they've got to pay back more than they borrowed from you. In that case, I guess, if you're in control of the, of the income, you can definitely deduct it from next week's allowance. But the key is not to make it a gift, not to, to bail them out and rescue them. Help them to learn that when the money runs out, the money's gone because typically you don't go to your employer when you've run out of money for the month and say, you know, can you, can you spot me a paycheck against next month? So don't rescue your, your, your child. And I think if we just did those things, it goes a long way to helping a child learn those basic skills. And then when you take them shopping with you, you can help make that a time of learning. Uh, maybe help them understand when you're looking at a product and you're looking at another product and you decide to put one back. Uh, why did you put that back? Value, price, uh, what, what's your thinking? And just verbalizing this as you're shopping can be extremely helpful to kids. I can imagine that some kids aren't going to really care a lot. They're going to be wanting to play in the shopping cart more. But at some point in time, there's that, that teaching moment. There will be that age where they will be engaged. And I, th I think helping them shop with their money for things that they are interested in will uh, go a long, long way to uh, giving them those money skills. So that's uh, what's coming up for me around financial literacy. So do I wish we taught that in schools? Absolutely. You know, the closest thing we have is um, the Junior Achievement Program. And I, I believe that's nationwide. I used to teach it. And it's, you know, maybe five segments or something of an hour once a year where you can go into K through 12 and teach something on money and capitalism and markets and just how things work. It's just uh, su such a shame that we don't have a required course on how money works K through 12. And how long have we been saying we need something like that? And how long does it continue to go along, right? Without any change. So that's what we can do for our kids. And I think that that can provide a, a foundation even in adults. It would be helpful to really, really know what to do to have that foundation. And then if a person isn't doing it, it's still going to require some financial therapy to understand what's going on inside. Where's the, the resistances? What are, what are the internal players that are keeping me stuck or keeping me sabotaging uh, myself and doing things that are not in my financial best interest?
So uh, a little longer segment than normal, but um, hopefully there's something that uh, has been useful. And you know, if you have any questions or a segment brings up a question, feel free to drop me an email at rick at rickkaler.com and uh, maybe it's something that um, will inspire me to actually do a segment on or answer. So, all right, take care and look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.